Good morning, everyone. Make your way back to your seat. Make your way back to your seat. Right, Nick? All right. (laughs) All right. Good morning. If you're new, welcome. My name is Obed, and I'm one of the pastors here. And as always, thank you for dedicating this portion of your Sunday to gathering with us. I am confident that your time with us this morning will reap many good rewards in your life. Absolutely will. Um, Recently, we've been in, in a study, in a series based on the book of Hebrews, and um, this is the last week, we haven't finished Hebrews, this is the last week of Hebrews before we get into our Advent series. Um, from next week, we're going to begin our Advent series, and that's going to take us through Christmas, and in the new year, we're going to be back in Hebrews until Easter, and then after Easter, we're going to be doing the book of... We're still figuring it out. <laughs> Got you guys' attention, didn't I? Communication techniques. Anyway, grab your Bibles. You should have them. If you don't have them, you probably have them on your phone. If it's not on your phone, go on the Apple Store. Download it. Grab your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. This week, we're going to be doing the whole of chapter 8. The whole of chapter 8 of Hebrews. And we're going to be looking at Jesus, high priest of a better covenant. That's the plan. As always, in our efforts to honor God's word, may you please stand for the reading of it. Hebrews chapter 8 reads, Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, In the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this high priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a high priest at all, since there are high priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. 
I will put my laws into their heart, minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest for I will be merciful toward their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you again for the opportunity you give us each and every week to come face to face with your truths. And to encounter you through them. And so this morning, you have been speaking. God, I so pray that you would give us ears to hear. And you would give us a hearts that are willing to obey you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat. <clears throat> All right, this morning, some of you are aware, but some of you are not, of the fact that the World Cup started. The World Cup, everybody. I know I am outnumbered here. I really am, because I am in the USA. And just so you know, if you're from America, the USA are in the World Cup. They're not going to win the World Cup. Don't listen to the media. They're not going to win it. If you think they are, you don't know anything about football. <laughs> so the World Cup has started. Many stories, stories such as, you know, Ghana v. Uruguay, which is more of like a replay of, you know, one of the most devastating World Cup games for Ghana, where Uruguay kind of cheated and ended up winning. So that's a story. Um, there are countries in the World Cup for the first time, like Qatar. The reason why Qatar are in the World Cup is because they're hosting it. <laughs> so many stories. One of the biggest stories is the day after Thanksgiving, behold, we have England v. USA in the World Cup. What a big game. I'm having a watch party at my house. You're all invited. Oops, I should have asked my wife before I did that. Big stories, but one of the biggest stories has to be Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. The reason why that is a headline when you're talking about the World Cup is because this is definitely, possibly, unless Ronaldo figures out how to not age, um, this will be their last World Cup. Okay, Their last World Cup. Big story. And as people have been reflecting on their last World Cup, they've obviously been reflecting on their careers, on how for many years, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi have dominated soccer. They are the, you could say it, two of the greatest players ever lived. Okay, incredible talent. And so as they reflect, what's interesting is that people are also looking forward to what players, what soccer players will replace Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi. There's some young talent out there that will probably replace them and take over 
as the best soccer players in the world. But what that reminds us of is this. The idea of all being replaced with new um, is something that happens all the time. And this whole idea of the old replacing the new doesn't only exist in the world of sport, but it's also true in the world of technology, right? In his article, The Evolution of Technology, blogger Donnie LeMay um, is right when he says, all technologies are born out of purpose, okay? Are born out of purpose. The newest iPhone, right, the one you have, give it five years, and there's going to be a new one, which is even better. I remember when I was growing up in London, and whenever I wanted to watch a movie, I would walk into my local blockbusters, and I would get a VHS or a DVD, right? And I would take it home, and I would put it in a machine, and I would watch it. Now, if I want to watch a movie, what do I do? You go online. You go on Netflix. You go on wherever you go, okay? Um, Cassette tapes replaced vinyl records. CDs replaced cassette tapes. Digital downloads replaced CDs. Digital music apps like Spotify have replaced digital downloads. All of these things. Um, the same is true. Um, uh, this idea is true that the old, what we currently have, will eventually be, play, be replaced by something new and something better. The same is true with the spiritual world, okay? In this section of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, don't know who it is, will help us see that what's true in the world of sport and technology is also true in the spiritual world. What he'll do is this. He'll help us see that the Mosaic Covenant... The old covenant, which was instituted by God between him and the people of Israel, was not meant to last forever. The old covenant has been replaced by a new and better covenant. In the last few weeks, this is what we've been up to. We've been slowly chewing on the meaty content of the book of Hebrews. We've sunk our teeth into the content to discover how Jesus Christ is a high priest. Not only that, we've been shown over and over again why Jesus as a high priest is superior to all the other ancient high priests. He has a lot of similarities to all the high priests, but he's also very different to them. And so our passage for this morning begins in this way. It begins by further exploring Jesus' identity as a high priest. Verse 1, if you look at it, reminds us that he's a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. If you want to know where Jesus is actually located and what he's up to, this is giving us clues. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. 
He's also described, Jesus is described in verse 2, as a high priest who is a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. In Old Testament times, let me give you some history here, some details. In Old Testament times, the Jews regarded the tabernacle, which is referred here as the tent, as the place where heaven touched earth. It was where God's presence dwelt. It was where the high priests engaged in ministry. It was where they repeatedly made sacrifices to atone for their own sins and the sins of the people. That's why verse 3 of chapter 8 reminds us that every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Offering sacrifices was an important part, important responsibility for each high priest. What's noteworthy is that all the other high priests and the location in which they served are described in verse 5 as this. Look at verse 5. As a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. A copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. To help us understand what this means, think of a photocopy, all right? Photocopier. What do you do with it? You take an original document, place it on there, you push a button, and it makes a copy for you, okay? The same can be said of a shadow. A shadow is kind of like a silhouette of the original object. In the same way, listen carefully, Okay? In the same way, Jesus may be a high priest, but he's very different to all the other high priests. Everyone and everything else is just a copy and shadow. Jesus sits where no other priest could ever sit, and he does what no other priest could ever do. The Old Testament tabernacle was only a copy and shadow, an incomplete picture of the reality of experiencing God's presence through Jesus. Jesus, like all other priests, offered a sacrifice, but his sacrifice was different. Why? Jesus offered himself. The animal sacrifices were only a copy and shadow, an incomplete picture of the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross for us. Jesus is the true high priest who has accomplished what the ancient priesthood could never do. These are some of the things that makes him superior to all other high priests. You following? Thomas Wright says this. If he, that is Jesus, was better even than the temple and its priesthood, how much more is he better than the many things which so easily distract us from single-minded devotion to him. 
And so, what has been distracting you from a single-minded devotion to Jesus? Over and over again in Hebrews, we are being shown that Jesus is superior, that Jesus is better than some of the most extraordinary people and incredible places. And so what has been distracting you from single-minded devotion to him? In this passage, we're exposed to something else that strengthens Jesus' superiority as a high priest. Look at verse 6. It says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. By way of reminder, this book of Hebrews, this ancient first century book, um, was written to Jews who had become converted to Christianity. And it's likely that as they did their best to live out their newfound faith, they were daily challenged by what they should hold on to as Jews and what they should get rid of. With verse 6, the author of Hebrews has just made a comment that would have been challenging to them because he's suggesting that they should consider letting go of something they greatly value. In verse 6, the author of Hebrews is arguing that Jesus' ministry as a high priest is superior to any other high priest in history. He also argues that the covenant he mediates is better because it's based on a better promise. In other words, there has been a change in something they valued, i.e. the covenant. There is a new covenant, and this new covenant is better than the covenant they've treasured for centuries. Put simply, there is a better version of something they really, really value. This statement would have been highly controversial. The writer of Hebrews knows this, and so what he does next is fantastic, all right? He turns to the writings of Jeremiah to prove his point, okay? He goes to a quotation from the prophet Jeremiah, and he does this to demonstrate from Old Testament scripture the need for a new covenant, which is better than the old. He begins by stating that the old covenant was imperfect. Look at verse 7. It says, for if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, okay? Then he talks about the need for a new covenant that's different to the old. Look at verse 8 and 9. For he finds fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, verse 9, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I um, took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. There's a lot going on here. It's all going to make sense, I promise. In other words, God promised the time when he will establish a new covenant that is better than the old, and so the question is, what is this new covenant all about? How is it different to the old covenant? 
and why is it better? To better answer these questions, we must first get an understanding of what a covenant is. Some of you guys, have been, I've been using the word covenant a lot. Did anyone count how many times I used it? You probably didn't, but I've been using it a lot. And a lot of us, including me, right, when you hear the word, word covenant, you're just like, what is a covenant? What is a covenant? We don't talk a lot about covenants today, but we should because covenants are one of the most important themes in the Bible. Okay, so I want you to lean forward. I'm going to give you guys a crash course on covenant, okay? A covenant is like a contract or an agreement, but a covenant is different from a contract because it's relational and personal in nature. Therefore, a covenant is a relationship between two partners who make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal, says writer and speaker Whitney Wallard. Okay? Covenants are often established by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. Okay? And so with that in mind, what would you say the greatest example of a covenant is? What relationship? A marriage, a wedding. Yes, you guys are awesome. Moving on. In a marriage, right, the commitment between a husband and wife, one of the best examples of a covenant. In a marriage, the husband and wife, what do they do? They make a formal commitment to be faithful and loving to each other for the rest of their lives. Okay? Then what do they do? They partner together to achieve common goals, like building a life and raising children together. Covenant relationships are also found throughout the Bible. If you read the Bible from cover to cover, you'll see it over and over again. In the Bible, covenants are made between God and his people. There are a lot of covenants, but you can, in a way, categorize them all into these foundational covenants that God makes with his people. There's covenant God made with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. And before all of these things, he established a new covenant through Jesus. Four generations, Israel ignored the terms of their covenant with God, breaking commands and living by their own definitions of good and evil. During these times of rebellion and exile, the ancient prophets, what they started to do was begin to talk about a new covenant. And when they talked about the new covenant, they talked about it as if it was better than the old. And so, what is this new covenant all about? How is it different to the old covenant? Why is it better? Okay? Oh, gosh, where am I? I promise it's not the iPad. No, yeah, I've got it. Okay, let's move on here. All right, so first of all, the new covenant is better than the... That was so embarrassing. Breathe, breathe. I'm fine. The new covenant is better than the old. Why? Number one, 
right? This is why the new covenant is better than the old covenant. Number one, we are empowered to obey. We are empowered to obey. Look at the first part of verse 10. It says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Stop right there. God has always been clear on who he is and how he wants his people to live. In the Old Testament, what did he do? He gave laws, he gave commandments, he gave statutes and ordinances that clearly explained how he expects his people to live. Most of the laws were given through Moses and written on tablets. And his people, the people of Israel, were obligated to keep the commandments. It required strict obedience, right, to these commandments and laws. But there was a problem. As much as they tried, no one could obey God's law completely. Why is that? Because their hearts were still hearts of stone. One author says this, even when they did obey, they were like people obeying the speed limit just to avoid getting a ticket. Not people who instinctively drive at this limit because they know it is the safest thing to do. Difference there. And so God says, I'm going to do something about this. I've given my laws, given my commandments. People can't, don't want to completely obey them. So I'm going to do something about it. What I'm going to do is write it with my own finger on their hearts. A few years after Jeremiah, the prophet Ezekiel heard God say these words. Look at Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 will come on the screen. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I'll put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The laws of God are engraved into our minds and written on our hearts. They are no longer external and foreign on stone tablets, but they are internal and very familiar to us. As a result, this will bring transformation of the heart and the permanent indwelling of the spirit so that obedience will flow from the inside out. God's spirit is transforming us day by day to make us more like Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. If you are here and you are a Christian and you have been born again, you have God's spirit that is day by day transforming you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. The new covenant is better than the old because, as Charles Swindoll says, we're not required to conjure up half-hearted obedience performed with a begrudging grin, 
but God does the work and produces spiritual fruit through his abiding spirit. The new covenant enables us to love and obey God from a transformed heart. And that's incredible news. And this is one of the things that makes Christianity so unique, so powerful to all other religions. God doesn't say, here's my law, obey it. Do it in your own strength. God says, this is how I want you to live, but I'm going to empower you to do it. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And this is why whenever we are obedient to God and we live out God's will no matter how, we don't need to take any credit for ourselves. That is why we stand and we go, God, I just did this. I was able to do this and that. Thank you. It's all you. So the new covenant, the new covenant is better than the old, not just because we are empowered to obey, but second, we can truly know God. The new covenant is better than the old because it enables us to really truly know God. Um, look at verse 10 again. Um, verse 10. For this is a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my what? My people. <laughs> In the Old Testament, God was the God of the Jews. Obviously, there were non-Jews Jewish people who worshipped God, but on Mount Sinai, what happened was God made a deal with the people of Israel that gave them a special relationship with him. Special relationship with him. In the Old Test, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, I will be their God meant. I will only be the God of Israel. But in the new covenant, it means I will be the God of all people. In the new covenant, I will be their God would also have a more personal meaning. God would not just be the deity acknowledged by a group of people as their true God, he would be the God who they actually loved, revered, and trusted. R. Kent Hughes summarizes this well. He says, I will be their God means he gives himself to us. And they shall be my people means he takes us to himself. When this happens, everything my complex nature require is found in him. Look at verse 11. And they shall not teach 
each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The Hebrew word for know here is the same word used in Genesis when it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. It's the type of knowledge that can only be obtained when two people commit to each other in the covenant of marriage. Verse 11 says, let's read it again. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. What does this mean? This means that the new covenant makes it possible for everyone everywhere to truly know God. That's insane. This means that the super rich to the really poor, the upper class to the lower class, presidents to farmers, elderly to newborn baby, whatever, has an opportunity to know God. Remember I said earlier that in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Israel and God made them his people, okay? But now in the new covenant, God still has a special relationship with Israel. He absolutely has. But we, as non-Jews, have been included into God's family. You, as a Christian, can fully, completely know and have a personal relationship with God. And again, this is what separates Christianity from so many other religions. Christianity comes along and says, look, God is not a statue. God is not the figment of your imagination. God is not up there and you're down here. The God of the Bible true God, the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ, enables each and every one of us to know him and have an intimate and a personal relationship with him. How does that impact you? As I was studying this, I remember reading it going, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian and I get to know God. Great, moving on. And the reason I responded like that is because I've heard it over and over and over again. But I was challenged to sit with this truth that by because of Jesus Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection, I now, by trusting in Jesus Christ, have entered into a legit relationship with God, the God of the universe. And he is my father, and I am his child. It's true, man. It's true. 
And so sit with it this week. Pray that God would help you not only understand with your mind, but understand with your emotions both that you are a child of God. It's unbelievable. The new covenant is better than the old because it doesn't only empower us to obey God, it doesn't only allow us to truly know God, but lastly, um, the new covenant is better than the old because we are completely forgiven. We are completely forgiven. Look at verse 12. This, these are the words from God. God will say, because talking about the new covenant, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is the point Hebrews, above all, wants to make about the new covenant. Through the new covenant, our sins have at last been forgiven and forgotten. The other day, can't remember, probably last week, this week, I can remember, Eleanor asked me a question. And she said, hey, husband, what... She doesn't call me husband. She has a nickname for me, and I'm not going to reveal it to you guys. <laughs> hey, husband, what ability do you wish you had that you don't have? Okay, something like that. And I said, I'd love to have a photographic memory. If I had a photographic memory, oh, wouldn't that be great? I'd be able to achieve more. I'd be able to impress people. I'd be able to remember stuff, all of these things. And I just went on and on about how awesome it would be. All right, we're not certain photographic memory is an actual ability, okay? People, if you're here and you kind of are into that stuff, scientists and researchers are like, yeah, we're not sure if it's actually an ability someone can have. But what we're sure of is that some people have incredible memories. For example, the inventor and engineer Nikola Tesla um, said that he had no problem memorizing entire books. Incredible. The American politician David Roosevelt could recite entire newspaper pages as if they were sitting in front of him. C.S. Lewis, love C.S. Lewis, brainchild behind the Chronicles of Narnia, many other books, is said to be the best read man of his generation, one who read and remembers everything he read. One of his students stated that someone could quote any line from a book he has read, and Lewis would continue the rest of the line from memory. Another student stated that he could take any book from Lewis's shelf, open a page at random to read, and C.S. Lewis could summarize the rest of the page. Incredible human beings, incredible memories. But when it comes to the idea of supernatural powers and abilities of memory, no one comes close to God, obviously. God sees and remembers everything. God can only forget if he chooses to do so. Any sin God remembers must be punished because he is holy. And when sins are not remembered, listen to this, it is because his grace 
has determined to forgive them, not in spite of his holiness, but in harmony with it. Again, R. Kent Hughes helps us here. The new covenant brings total forgiveness. God does not just forget our sins. It is impossible for God to remember them. The old covenant wasn't able to do this. Okay, This is due to the fact that under the old covenant, sins were never totally forgiven since they were never truly forgotten. They were covered awaiting and pointing to the true forgiveness that is found in Christ. David Guzik summarizes all this. He says, The new covenant offers a true, complete cleansing from sin, different and better than the mere covering over of sin in the Old Testament. Isn't this what you would like? To be forgiven... And to know that you can start over with God and to be forgiven in a way when God chooses not to remember your sins. One of the most frustrating things for me that I do it to people is that When someone says they forgive you, but later on brings up that same issue again. They're like, ah, I've forgiven you. I'm all good. Let's move on. And later, they bring it back up again to rub it in your face. We carry such a burden because our failures and our guilt are numerous and burdensome. But in the new covenant, you are, listen to this, you are in an intimate relationship with a God who has chosen to show you mercy and has chosen to forget your sins. Ed Welsh puts it this way. Don't say, how could God give me, forgive me for that? Whatever that is. Don't think that God's forgiveness is a begrudging forgiveness and with that thought deny some of God's glorious love. And don't think that God's promises are only for other people. If this is how you are thinking, you must realize that your own sins, no matter how big, are not bigger than God's pleasure in forgiveness. And so what sin in your past are you struggling to forget and believe God has truly forgiven? Let me ask that again. What sin in your past, what have you done that you are struggling to forget and believe God has truly forgiven? Whatever it is, may you realize
realize that your own sins, no matter how big, are not bigger than God's pleasure in forgiveness. Look at verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he, God, that is God, makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish. The old covenant was good, but God has made it obsolete because of his new covenant. The laws of God will be placed on the minds and hearts of God's people. The relationship between God and his followers will be firmly established and everyone within the covenant will know the Lord because he will forgive their sins. This is not just for someday when Jesus returns or we go to heaven. This can be your everyday experience of a life in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I have in my hand a letter from one of our kids. Her name's Kezia. She's our middle child. And she's just like all other middle childs. She's incredible, but she's out there. <laughs> uh, she wrote us a letter. I think it was one of her exercises or homework at school and they had it all like you know and it's to do with thanksgiving and i want to read that letter to you this letter to you guys she says dear parents wrote eleanor and i letter of course dear parents i just wanted to let you know how thoughtful i am for you thankful i am for you thoughtful i'm thankful for you because you are always there for me and you guys are fun, and I'm thankful for you. First, you are always there for me when I get hurt. She gets hurt a lot. You help me. I remember when you, mum, when I got my finger stuck in the car door, that happened, you helped me. And you, dad, whenever my leg or arm um, gets hurt, you help me. Next, you guys are fun. You take me to fun places like SeaWorld and you surprise me by going on trips like when you just surprised me with going to Big Bear. Lastly, I'm thankful for you always. Serve me and clean up for me. Yeah, we do a lot. <laughs> for all these reasons, I'm thankful for you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Love, Kezia. That was Kezia's attempt, very good one, to express something she was thankful for. And she chose her parents. And so this Thanksgiving, what are some of the things are you thankful for? What are you thankful for right now? As we get ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, I'm sure you can think of so many things and people you're thankful for. You really can. And I love how God works. Because as we've been thinking about the new covenant, and I wished I had two more hours to unpack it, 
but I hope I've sufficiently summarized what the new covenant is and what it brings. I hope that as you enter into this season of thanks, you'll be able to say, God, I am thankful for the new covenant. Why? Because of the new covenant, you, as a Christian, you have been empowered by God's Spirit. and You have a transformed heart that is able to obey Him. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you, you can truly know God because you have an intimate relationship with Him. And because of the new covenant which was brought about by Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven and removed once for all by his sacrifice. And so this Thanksgiving, may you throughout the season and allow it to spill over to the rest of your life, may you be incredibly, genuinely Thankful for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for our high priest. And because of his sacrifice, you are able to obey, know God, and know that your sins have been completely forgiven. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, God. Oh, I pray that these truths, these truths would change us, would change how we live today for the rest of the day. May you give us gospel lenses. May you help us um, see life through the truths and the benefits and the, um, the benefits of the new covenant. God, thank you for this new covenant. God, give us a wider, a deeper understanding of this as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.